Buen día. Buen día. <laughs> well, muy buen día a todos. Uh, that just means good morning to everybody. It's uh, so good for us to be able to be with you this morning. Uh, for me and my wife, this is almost like old home week for us. Uh, there's so many folks here among you that we already know from uh, many, many years ago. Uh, the Sezoffs, the Costases, uh, Tom and Julia, and uh, I even met the pastor and his wife oh, many years ago back in seminary. So uh, it's a delight for us to be able to be with you and to open God's word together with you before him today, trusting in his work in our hearts and our lives. And then after the service, to be able to share with you the work that he is doing uh, down south in Uruguay. Beloved, would you open the word of God with me to Philippians chapter 4, Paul's letter to the Philippians. Coming here to the end of his letter, uh, Philippians 4, we're going to focus in on verses 10 through 13. I forgot to remove my mask. Sooner or later I'd remember that. So allow me to to begin in verse 1. Philippians 4, verse 1. Paul writes in the spirit of our Lord, Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. I entreat Euodia and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, Help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things, which you have learned and received and heard and seen in me. Practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You are indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound in any and every circumstance. I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. The Apostle Paul at this moment in his life uh, was under house arrest in Rome. And that's where he finds himself writing this letter. Uh, the members of the Philippian church, when they had heard about him being under house arrest, they had sent one of their members to him with gifts for him. Uh, and not only did he bring him gifts, but uh, this member stayed along with Paul for some time ministering to him. And so the Apostle's writing, even though he's under arrest, uh, with great joy. Uh, to the members of the church in Philippi. 
As we get started hearing God's word this morning, as we continue to, would you join me in prayer? Father in heaven, thank you for thank you for pouring out your word to us today. We thank you, Father, for drawing us into your presence. And that you are at work faithfully to change our hearts and our lives, to make us more like our Savior Jesus. And Father, we confess we are so fully, so completely dependent upon you and your work today. Father, we depend on you for everything. And we we seek you, Lord. We ask you to be at work in us now. We ask you to take uh, this truth and apply it to us in love and transform us. Make us, Lord, more and more like yourself, we pray. For we ask it all in our Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, would you consider yourself to be, would you consider yourself to be more or less a, a content kind of person? Is that how you see yourself? I mean, I, I normally see myself that way. But it doesn't take long uh, for my heart to show me otherwise. Uh, we've been back here in the States uh, for a brief time on furlough. And we actually had about seven weeks uh, here in New Jersey. Uh, I had already prepared my presentation for the churches ahead of time back in Montevideo, back in Uruguay. I had thought through my sermons and what I'd be preaching on, all of that. And so I was looking forward to this time of like seven weeks of study time, uh, preparing sermons for the coming year, planning what I was going to do in Montevideo, uh, as well as preparing classes for a seminary that I'm teaching down there as well. All of that. And it's just about time for us to go back. And I haven't gotten to where I wanted to go. I, have, I haven't finished what I wanted to do. Uh, other things have come up. You know, I've had medical appointments uh, to tend to, to take care of myself. Uh, various concerns have come up in the church in Montevideo from time to time. All these things that just uh, took away what I really wanted to get done. Have I complained about that? Yeah. Yeah, I have. At, at least to myself, I have. And, uh, you know, why, why, uh, where's all the time gone? You know, where did it go? Uh, just wanting to get all this stuff done. And, and then I find that I'm really complaining to my Lord Jesus. Uh, because I'm, I'm not being thankful for everything he's already done for us on this furlough. For the, the ways that we have connected and reconnected with family, with, with other friends and so on. Uh, for the time away from all the work down in Montevideo, all the good things, I just kind of forget about that, and I complain. So, yes, I have a problem at times with being content. I don't know if you can relate to that or not. I, uh, we do know, don't we, though, that as children of God, the Lord calls us to be content, to be satisfied with life, uh, satisfied with our circumstances. Uh, for example, we know Paul told Timothy in 1 Timothy 6, but godliness with contentment is great gain, for we brought nothing into the world, we can't take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing, with these we'll be content. 
And even here, beloved, in Philippians chapter 4, verse 11, the Apostle Paul says, I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. And of course, like we said, he's writing these words while chained to the Roman guard awaiting for his trial. He's probably recognizing he's coming to the end of his ministry. And in a situation where he could easily be complaining, grumbling, about being uncomfortable, about the food or the lack of food, about being detained from his missionary ministry, Paul says he's content. So, beloved, what do you and I need to learn from the apostles so that we can move or keep moving into this new year with everything that God already has planned for it and with a heart that remains content no matter what? Well, from what Paul is telling the Philippian believers, we come to understand that Christian contentment is, first of all, something acquired. It's something that we learn. And then secondly, Contentment is something that is absolute. That just means that we can be satisfied whatever the circumstances are, whether things are going really well or things are not going well. But the reason we can be content whatever the situation is that our hearts are anchored to Jesus Christ. And that's where our contentment really comes from, from knowing him. First of all, contentment is something that we learn, that we acquire. Look with me back at verse 10. The apostle says, I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You're indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I am speaking about being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. Down in Montevideo, Uruguay, uh, folks love to drink what we call mate, I don't know if you've heard that before. It's a really bitter green tea. And the first time I took a sip of mate reminded me of wet grass. Uh, Who do you know who likes to drink wet grass? Okay, I certainly didn't. But then uh, after a while, after learning how to prepare it the right way, after trying different brands, uh, after getting my own mate mug and the metal straw that goes with it, I'll show you that in just a minute, I actually began to enjoy it. And, of course, I began feeling like I was more part of the culture as well. You know, in much the same way, contentment does not come naturally to you and me. It's something we learn. Uh, From the very beginning, we've been discontent. Think with me for a minute about Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. They were created in the image and likeness of God himself. They were the crowning glory of all creation. They were made to perfection. They were sinless. They were faultless. They didn't make mistakes. As God himself was king over the universe, he had made Adam and Eve second in command. They lived in a paradise. They worked in the garden without pain, without problems. They had no weeds to pull. Uh, They didn't have to deal with rotten fruit. Adam and Eve had an amazing marriage. And above everything else, they delighted themselves in in a sweet communion with God, their creator, walking and talking with him every day in a way you and I can only imagine. And yet all of this wasn't good enough for them. So that when Satan came and tempted them to sin against God, they listened to his lies. We read in Genesis chapter 3, But the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of the fruit, your eyes will be opened, you will be made like God, knowing good and evil. 
Satan told them they would be like God, having the same knowledge, having the same authority, and they believed him and ate the fruit. Now, they weren't content living under God's authority, even with everything that they enjoyed. And you see, from that moment on, discontent has dominated our human nature. No matter how much we already have, despite all we've already been given, we usually want something more. What about King David? Remember King David. He starts out as a poor boy shepherding his father's sheep, but God had crowned him king over all Israel. God made him powerful in battle. He gave him victory after victory over his enemies on every side. Uh, he was already married. He had many children. On top of it, of all, of it all, all, God had promised David that he would have someone reigning on his throne forever. And if there was more that David wanted, he just had to ask God. But then one evening, he sees a beautiful woman bathing, another man's wife. He takes her to himself and he arranges for her husband's murder. Brothers and sisters, our discontent is really rooted in the desires of our heart. That's where it really comes from. I'd like you to keep something in Philippians 4, a marker, your finger, and turn with me to James chapter 4. Just want to look at a couple of verses here because James gets at this so well for us. James 4, verses 1 and 2, where he pierces us with a question, what is it that causes quarrels and fights among you? Where's the conflict come from? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and you do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have, James says, because you do not ask. You know, we all have desires, and uh, there are many good things that we want. Our young people want to be maybe really good at sports, or they want to look good, uh, they want to make their parents proud, they want someday uh, to be married, to have their own family and a career of their own. And these are all really good things. And they're also things that really honor the Lord. But what's the problem? The problem is when we turn these desires into demands. They become demands. We become convinced that we can't live without these things. And that we have to have them in order to be happy. Sometimes we're not content with ourselves. Sometimes we're not content with what we have. We like nicer clothing, a bigger house. Other times we become discontent with other people in our lives. Uh, for example, uh, parents often want their kids to get better grades. Uh, teenagers want their parents to treat them with more respect like young adults. And not that any of that is necessarily wrong. But when we start demanding what we desire, what happens when we don't get it? We get frustrated, we complain, we get angry, and we can cause a great deal of heartache. So you see, contentment is not part of our human nature. It's not part of who we naturally are. It's something we need to acquire, to learn. And the Apostle Paul says that about himself, even here in our text. Look with me again at verse 11. The second part, he says, not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation to be content. Uh, Paul even repeats himself in the middle of verse 12 when he says, 
I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. Even Paul hadn't become a content person overnight. Uh, It's not like the day after Jesus saved him, suddenly Paul was satisfied with his life. He had to learn to be satisfied. The Greek word in the original text uh, that he uses uh, describes uh, putting your mind to something which produces an external effect. This idea of learning. It's a word similar to the Greek word for disciple. Uh, We know that a disciple learns over time to put into practice what his master is teaching him. And so Paul had learned from all the experiences that God had given him over time to trust God and be content. And of course, beloved, that's exactly how this works for you and for me in the same way. It's a process of learning to be content. How do we do that? Well, we commit our desires to our Lord in prayer. We lay them before his feet in prayer. We trust him to give us the desires of our heart as he pleases and in his way. And then we work on being thankful for what we already have and what what the Lord's already given us. And really, this is all a process that requires us to keep doing these things, to keep persevering, to be praying, uh, to keep thanking the Lord for what we have and to keep putting our desires uh, before the Lord. Pastor Charles Spurgeon uh, puts it all this way. Greed, discontent, and murmur are as natural to man as thorns to the earth. Well, we don't have to plant the thorns. They grow naturally because they're indigenous to the earth. And so we don't have to, to teach the man to complain. He complains quickly without any education. However, the precious things of the earth need to be cultivated. If we want to have the flowers, we have to have all the care of the gardener. And he says, now contentment is one of the flowers of heaven. And if we want to have it, it has to be cultivated. How are you doing at cultivating contentment in your heart? For example, you've had a long, long day at work and you're on your way home. Uh, You can't wait uh, to get home, to plop into your easy chair, kick off your shoes and chill out for a little while. Suddenly, you find yourself in bumper-to-bumper traffic. You're not moving anywhere. You're just sitting there. So what do you do? Uh, Let me put it this way. What should you do? You should pray. Father, thank you for a good day at work. Thank you for what I got done today. Thank you, Father, for keeping me safe in this traffic. Thank you for my home. Thank you especially for the family that I have that I'm going home to. Father, help me remember that you're using this traffic jam to teach me to be patient and to wait on you. So, beloved, how are we working on that? How are we cultivating this heart of contentment before our Lord? As we're working on that, we're going to find out, as the Lord is gracious uh, to be changing our hearts, that contentment is something that's absolute. We can be content whatever our circumstance. But let me ask you, in what situations is it hard to be content, to be satisfied? In all of them. Really, in all of them. It's difficult in times of need. And we're going through really hard times. The Apostle Paul certainly knew what it meant to be in need. Look at verse 12 again with me. He says, I know how to be brought low. 
And I know how to abound. In any every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty, he says, and hunger, abundance, and need. Really, all you and I have to do is listen to Paul's own testimony he gave to the Corinthian church in 2 Corinthians 11. Uh, the Apostle Paul talks about being in danger uh, everywhere. In danger from robbers, danger from his own people, danger from the Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the country, danger at sea. And so on, he just continues on this list. And even now, while he's writing this letter, Paul's chained to a Roman soldier. It could not have been easy for him to keep from grumbling and complaining. And yet, really, we see in Paul the same attitude that he had when he first planted the church in Philippi, the church he's writing to now. If we were to go back in Acts chapter 16... Uh, we would see in one of Paul's missionary journeys, while Paul and Silas were going through Philippi, uh, they're attacked by the crowd for having done a miracle in Jesus' name. And Paul and Silas were seized, they were stripped naked, and they were thrown into a prison cell. How easy it would have been to start grumbling and complaining. But both of them had already learned to be content no matter what. We read in verse 25 of the chapter, they lifted their hearts in prayer and praise while the others and the jailer were listening. They began singing hymns to God in the middle of prison. And maybe you remember exactly what the Lord did and how he changed the Philippian jailer's heart and he came to Christ and he was baptized and his family was baptized and the church got started in Philippi. God used their content hearts to start the church. And this is the exact same church that's writing to Paul now and encouraging him as well. Beloved, you and I already know that we're going to go through times of need this year, one way or another, whether it's physical need, emotional, spiritual need, we're going to experience it. Um, I think sometimes uh, we have one of our newest members down in Montevideo who is a woman in her mid-60s and she's facing right now the possibility of being evicted from her apartment. So, you know, trying to work with her and help her to consider her options, what can be done. But at the same time, my prayer is, again, that the Lord would be using this in her own heart to teach her to trust that as God has promised to provide, he's going to take care of her and going to lead her through it. Why can, how can I pray that way? Because I know God is faithful. Even though our circumstances are going to change, God's faithfulness does not. It never does. We have his promise that he will always be with us. We have his promise that he is always going to provide for us as a heavenly father. And beloved, we even know that the Lord is gracious to be using our trials to train us humble us, and to trust in him to lead us through. But you know, um, contentment is not only difficult in times of need, but it's also hard for us when we already have everything need and, and even more. You know, Paul actually gets at this too. Look again at verse 12. He says, I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound. Notice that? In any and every circumstance, I've learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance, and need. 
It seems to us that Paul hadn't always been suffering and struggling. There were many good times in his life and his ministry, times when he had all he needed and even more. Think with me, for example, about the fruit of his ministry, even. Like in the church of Philippi, uh, where he preached originally to Lydia and shared the gospel with her. God opened her heart and brought her whole family into the church. They were baptized Again, the church was born, again with the Philippian jailer, all that had happened. And so many other churches as well had taken shape through Paul's gospel preaching. Humbling proud hearts, producing sorrow for sin, joy in receiving Jesus, being forgiven, living lives committed to Christ. Beloved, you know that in those moments, Paul could have wanted more for himself. He could have started seeing himself as indispensable to God's work. He could have started demanding that the churches pay him for his ministry. He could have demanded maybe an easier life than that of a missionary, you know, always being on the move. He could have envied pastors of churches, pastors who had their own homes, who had friends in their churches, seemed to be well taken care of. You know, it can very much be the same way for us when our lives are going really well. If the stock market is up, um, if things seem to be going well in our family, in our relationships with others, still very often, it's not enough for us. We want more. Or maybe we envy others who seem to have a better life than we do. Listen again with me to Pastor Spurgeon. When we have many of the blessings of God, he says, it often happens that we have little of the grace of God and little thankfulness for the generosity of God. We are full and we forget God. Satisfied with the earth, we're happy to ignore heaven. But the Apostle Paul, uh, whether he's reflecting on the success of his ministry or he's rattling his chains to the Roman guard, either way, he had learned to be content. Content to be a servant of Jesus Christ. As a matter of fact, all Paul really wanted was to know Jesus and to know him better. He even expresses that same heart earlier in this letter in chapter 3 when he says, Whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. And beloved, in verse 12, when Paul mentions this secret of being content, that's what he's getting at. The secret is to know Jesus and to know him better and to grow in a, in a living, growing, closer relationship with our Savior. Because you and I are going to be able to be content if our contentment is anchored to Jesus, to knowing him. Look at me at verse 13. Uh, Philippians 4.13 you know, is uh, arguably one of the most often quoted verses in evangelical circles and where Paul says, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. This is the verse you know, that normally comes to our mind when suddenly we're faced with a serious challenge, when there's something really difficult that we know we have to do. We remember Christ is our strength. He'll enable us. We can do all things through him. That he gives us everything we need to do what we have to do. And beloved, that's so true. But let's not forget what Paul's talking about here. He's talking about being content. 
What he's saying is that it's Jesus who strengthens him to be able to stay content, to stay satisfied. Paul was content when all was going great, and now sitting under house arrest, he's still content. Why is that? Because Jesus is his strength. Because what matters to him more than anything else in the world is knowing Christ. And beloved, whether things are going great for us or whether our lives seem to be falling apart, we can be and we need to be content. And we will be as we stay anchored to Jesus, who's our strength. In verse 13, Paul is literally using a phrase that actually means Christ makes me strong. It's just to say that Jesus is always present with us in his spirit to keep us content. For example, the Apostle Paul wrote to the Corinthians about his struggle with some trial or with some difficulty that caused him to suffer. You know, it's what he called his thorn in the flesh. And after he had sought the Lord to remove it so many times, the Lord responded to Paul, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. And Paul, reflecting on what the Lord had said, he responds this way. He says, therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest on me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. He says, for when I am weak, then I am strong, strong in Christ. Beloved, Jesus is the power that keeps us content in our weaknesses and whatever circumstances we find ourselves in. And in his power, Christ is using our situations to perfect us, to transform us, to make us more and more into his own image. And so, yes, Jesus is our strength. But, you know, he's also our sufficiency. And we need to see that, don't we? That that Jesus really is all we need. He's that we, in Him, we have everything we need to be content. We can see how Paul lived in wonder of all that Jesus has done for us. Right here in Philippians chapter 2, we find a passage that probably the early church used as a hymn, and we've heard it over and over again, especially around Christmas time, when Paul is calling them to be like Christ. And he says, Christ who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself by taking on the nature of a servant, becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed him uh, the name that's above every name. So the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth, Every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. This is who Jesus is, and this is what he has done for us. So, are we contenting ourselves in Christ and his love for us? Because it was Jesus himself who was content to turn his back on all the glory of heaven to enter into our sinful world, our corrupt world. He himself was content to humble himself by taking on a body like our own. He was content to place himself under all the demands of God's law, the very law that God had designed for us. He was content every day to face temptations that we face 
And yet, unlike us, he resisted every single one. He was content, beloved, to take our sinfulness upon himself and then take his righteous life that he had earned and to wrap it around us like glorious robes. At the same time, our Jesus was content to be crushed by the full weight of God's wrath that we deserve. And as Jesus was content to do all of this for you and for me, God the Father was content to raise him from the dead, to seat him in his right hand, giving his Son all authority over heaven and earth. And it's this Jesus who's content today to be interceding for us, even at this very moment. That's, that's the only reason we're here, to worship God, to know him as our Father. It's in Jesus and through him. He is everything that we need. Are we contenting ourselves with him? That's the question we need to work through, isn't it? And that's also the process we trust, even as we're working on this. We trust the Lord to be at work in us and to fix our focus on him so that we become even more and more like him. And even, beloved, so that we're able to say uh, with the psalmist, at Psalm 73, at the very end of the psalm, this is what he says, Lord, whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. May the Lord enable us to say exactly the same, beloved. Let's pray. We ask you, Father, work in us and become confessing to you that it's so easy for us to complain and to grumble. We're so thankful to you that you... um, Through your word, you show us our hearts and that you give us the grace to open our eyes to see our own selves and to see the way that um, we lack contentment and the way that uh, we're very easily pushed around by our circumstances. Father, how we ask you to give us the heart of your son and make us more like him, content and able to trust in you to say, not my will be done, but yours be done. Father, work in us. And and even as we pray that, we know that uh, you are faithful, that you are finishing out the good work you've already begun in us to complete it at the coming of our Lord Jesus. We thank you in his name we pray, Father. Amen.